2: One hour down, three to go, and so much ground to cover. We probably won't get to a lot of the Shohei Otani, though I will give you a couple of comments before the show is done, to be sure. And I'd love to hear from you about what was a wild, wacky weather and sports weekend. For those of you who are into golf, and I'm I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about it, but did you see also the huge news from the PGA one of the top players in the world, John Rom, is making the jump to live golf. Also, there's still no merger. Well, there's still no terms of a merger. and that merger expires at the end of the year. It runs out on New Year's Eve. I'm telling you it was all a sham. It was just for the PGA tour to get the money and to get rid of the lawsuits. That's all it was about. And now John Rom bolts. John Rom, he's the freaking masters champion. So tell me again how live golf is gonna die, Rory McElroy. Oh my goodness. And the contract itself, not quite worth what Shohei Otani is signing, but pretty damn close. Hit live. <laughs> so yeah, what a huge weekend for news. Plus Army Navy. I had a friend who is an Air Force. The Air Force Coast Guard, excuse me. He's a Coast Guard veteran. His father is an Army veteran, and he took his dad to Army Navy because his dad lives in Massachusetts. It was at Foxborough, so he took his dad for the first time, and they had incredible seats because they were veterans, and he said it was the experience of a lifetime. He sent me photos of the game and their seats. Pretty awesome. So, yeah, what a weekend in sports capped off by Cowboys-Eagles on Sunday Night Football It was anticlimactic, but it does not take away from how important this game for the Cowboys and also a gut check moment for the Eagles. Coming up in our final hour, we will welcome RJ Choppy from our Dallas affiliate 105.3 The Fan and we'll get his reaction to what we saw with this Cowboys win, but also what's to come for Dallas. We're asking you, even before we put up our Monday MVP poll, now do you believe In the Dallas Cowboys. Now do you believe. That they are a legitimate Super Bowl contender. And I will say this. I think. If they could earn the home field advantage. Whether it's top seed. Whether it's the two seed. Now it's one thing to have the home field advantage. Throughout. If you're the top seed. And you get the bye as well. It's another to be ahead of any other team in your division. Which means that if Cowboys and Eagles. Would end up facing each other again. It would be in Dallas. That would be monumental. It could be playoff changing. In the divisional round at least the Cowboys would have a home game. Right, so this would be enormous for them. While I don't think every team needs home field, I think it would be huge for the Cowboys. And nobody wants to go into Dallas and play them right now. So, do you believe in the Cowboys after seeing what you saw on Sunday night football? Our show Twitter is After Hours CBS. Our Facebook page named after the show. So is our YouTube channel. And, oh yes, wait for it, wait for it. Producer Jay will be eating broccoli that I prepared for him on the show. As a sayonara before I sign off until after Christmas. Producer Jay has agreed to pay off on his bet. So he will be eating broccoli thanks to you pushing us over 4,000 subscribers on our YouTube channel. We have not yet decided the stakes for going over 5,000. Jay has promised he won't ask me to eat an earthworm.
0: I'll make that. All right, that's a promise.
2: Okay. So really funny, really quickly, uh, because it's Christmas, two weeks before Christmas, our fun question for my kiddos on Sunday morning in church, my fourth and fifth graders, the grossest candy cane flavor you can think of. Oh, you wouldn't even believe some of the resp- – well, they're fourth and fifth graders. Of course you would. First of all, there were a bunch of meat flavors. Pepperoni. Ew. Yeah, pepperoni, oysters, uh, beef. It was really funny. But then there but then there was this one, earthworm. And I'm thinking to the little boy – as the little boy is saying this, how would you know what an earthworm tastes right. like?
0: He's <laughs> like, oh, I've had it. It's terrible. Trust me. Yeah.
2: Leave it to the 16-year-old who volunteers to say sewage. I was like, also, why would you ever like? Ew! What? That, that's not a candy cane. That's not like a
0: flavor of <laughs> food to try. Ugh.
2: Some of the girls, some of the girls said broccoli. Just so you know, another broccoli, little boy said cane. Brussels sprouts. I, I really don't mind Brussels sprouts. <laughs> too bad you're eating broccoli. Yeah. Yeah, I've decided you can either have olive oil, or a little salad dressing, or butter, but that's it. You're not allowed to have any other type of breading or flavor no crumbs no no, crumbs. no ranch dressing no it's either going to be like an oil and vinegar a vinaigrette dressing a little olive oil or you can have butter
0: uh, oil sounds good
2: all right I think. olive oil yeah olive oil salt and pepper that i'll sounds give you good. i'll give you olive oil salt and pepper
0: well it sounds better i
2: guess <laughs> hey you might like it yeah. maybe are you going to admit it if you do I will I will, you will. You made it so you'll I, be alth- it. Oh thank you. you'll be authentic and awesome. I will. By the way, once you eat the broccoli, you'll get more cookies. Did I or did I not bring you the first batch? Those are wedding cookies, mind you. And you got to taste test them before anyone else. And considering your face when you ate one of those cookies, I think I might win the contest at the wedding.
0: I think you might because they tasted extra special, I got to say. like I've had these before, and they're always tremendous. But these ones just were – I couldn't speak to you after I <laughs> ate it because I just couldn't put words together. It, no, I didn't want to. Too I just bad you're to not going
2: to be there to vote for me, the cookie <laughs> bar win. at the wedding. That would be amazing. Uh, truth be told, I – I did cheat a little bit, or I guess take advantage of uh, insider intel because they are Bob's favorite cookie. And so if he doesn't vote for them, well, then
0: all bets are off. If they're his favorite, the I mismatches. mean, the, the wedding is. might
2: need to be annulled.
0: Mm, I hear you. I hear
2: you. <laughs> like an hour after we get married. <laughs> Bob, who'd you Excuse vote for? me, Pastor, can you take that back? We haven't actually filed our marriage license with the county again. Can you just retract that, please? It's not
0: a big deal, right? <laughs>
2: We just erased the last hour. He didn't vote for my cookies. Can you imagine? <laughs> no. Irreconcilable differences. He did not vote for my cookies at the way.
0: <laughs> not get past that one. It's a deal. Honestly, if he tried these and didn't vote for him. I don't understand. Thank you, Jay. So.
2: Thank you. We all need someone on our side. All right. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence here on CBS Sports Radio. We've talked about the other top two teams in the NFC. So let's dive into Seahawks and Niners playing in the Bay Area, San Francisco. And oh, yeah, the Niners have got their groove back. And in large part, it's because of Debo.
1: They send Debo inside of Brandon Ayuk right. Kittle inside of Jawan Jennings left. And McCaffrey goes in motion. That bumper motion outright. Blitz from Bobby Wagner. They pick it up. Deep shot. Brock Purdy's going downfield for Debo. Touchdown!
0: Sam Francisco! Purdy under
1: center. Lone back McCaffrey. Eight yards. Debo comes. They give it to Debo on the handoff.
0: Touchdown! San Francisco. A little jet action, a little gadget action for Debo Samuel. Good kick out block by Jawan Jennings. George Kittle out there as well. And just an easy little crease for Debo Samuel. And that kind of juice, forget it.
2: What'd he call himself? A hackback? No, a wild back? A wild back? A wide back, was it? A wide back? Something like that. He definitely is a wide load. I'll give him that. He can truck people. Like, as in truck you. And Jay was just saying to me that he would dive out of the way. This is. This is Brave Jay. He would dive out of the way if Debo Samuel was coming at him full steam.
0: No, Debo, no shot. I'm out of there. <laughs> He's just too fast and too big.
2: Yeah. Both teams end up with touchdowns on the opening drive, but that was as close as it got for the Seahawks to the Niners. Uh, I don't know if you saw the very first play. In fact, if you were watching an earlier game and missed the start of this one, <laughs> Christian McCaffrey takes the first snap for the Niners and goes 72 yards. Oh, dear. They must have known. The Seahawks must have known what they were in for, even in that moment. And get to know Jordan Mason, just the latest addition to the Niners' run game. Now, Drew Locke was in for Geno Smith. Remember, Geno was dealing with the rib injury. So it was Drew Locke who started in this game. And initially, he gets a deep shot to DK Metcalf. And I'm thinking, okay, this might be a shootout in the Bay Area. But as I say... San Francisco's too deep, too strong, too many weapons. And after you see the Brock Purdy bomb to Debo Samuel that hits him in stride 54 yards down the field, (laughs) and you recognize they can come at you in a variety of ways, it didn't seem close after that. He can rush, he can rumble, he can run, he can receive. He can record touchdowns with an alarming rate. Ah, So poetic of me. It's after hours here on CBS Sports Radio. It's funny because when you watch the Seahawks and you take them and highlight real moments, does that make sense? It's more of a highlight package. You see the potential for this offense. You really can see Again, in in bite sizes, what they can do, and the and you are reminded of the veteran weapons that this team has, like a DK Metcalf. Speaking of trucking someone, who would you take in a head like a a game of chicken between Debo Samuel and DK Metcalf? Gosh,
0: probably DK. Honestly, he's I think he's bigger.
2: Oh, he's bigger, and he is also just as physical and tough, and so he's a great weapon. And Drew Locke could certainly chuck the football. And we know that they've got guys who can churn up yards and who can score. And when you see their third quarter answer, it was the second Debo touchdown, but you see that third quarter answer where they go in succession, 27 yards, 26 yards, and then 25 yards to be able to kind of put themselves back into the game a, a, a little bit. Again, I don't think it was ever in doubt. But when we're talking about that Seahawks offense, there's so much potential there, it just it seems to disappear at times.
3: Drew Lock out of the shotgun. Play fake. Fakes a throw to the far side. Now he throws it down the middle. ball is caught. Parkinson down to the 10, down to the 5. He is in. Touchdown, Seahawks. From 25 out, what a beautiful play design. The Seahawks and Drew Locke fake the throw one side, then the other. That has been used against us this season. And then the throw in the middle of the field to a wide-open tight end, Parkinson, who scores from 25. The Seahawks back in this one. It's
2: 21-16. So that's Colby Parkinson. Not a real well-known tight end, but... They've got other guys, too. Noah Fan, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett. Kenneth Walker is one of the best running backs in the NFL. And so sometimes it defies logic why they are unable to, to put up more points. And we know that had been a major issue for them earlier in this losing skid. Now that they've started to put up points, think about their last two games. Now, they didn't have Geno on Sunday, right? But they were able to come up with a couple of pretty impressive touchdowns. But... In this four-game losing skid, we had seen them with such anemic offense until they go up against the Cowboys in Dallas and they put 35 on the board. And then I kind of saw like flashes of it on Sunday against the Niners, even against that great Niners defense, but just not sustainable for some reason for Seattle. Really, the last laugh comes on yet another... Moment, Another touchdown for the Niners in which you can just see how many ways it's almost like wearing wearing a defense out because you think you've got one guy covered or two guys covered or three guys covered and then somebody else springs free
1: play action to him Purdy. going to throw it on the sideline.
2: Kittle's got it. The flag is down 10-5
0: touchdown San Francisco and I think this is going to stand this is going to be a holding call I believe on the defender I think it was Julian Love who was trying to cover George the play Kittle
3: is a touchdown
1: holding defense number 20 that penalty is declined.
0: we got so many guys who can get such big plays on little plays um you know we went for a big play early in the game tried to get George and B.A. down the middle and the two hook defenders were deep in the safety, and some of my favorite plays by Brock on the day because he just went to a check down, which, which was the right answer, and Debo was a five-yard check down, and he got 30 on it. The guys that we have whenever they get the ball from, I mean, you can see Brock get out there a little bit, try to scramble a little bit, but from Christian to, to Juice Kittle, B.A., and it's just go on down the line. It's just like the culture that they built here and just what we practice on every day.
2: I mean, it's exhausting for a defense. Jay calls it unfair. I mean, life is not fair. You're just going to have to suck it up in there. (laughs) But yeah, Debo goes for 150 total yards, a couple of touchdowns. Christian McCaffrey rushes for 145 yards. Now a lot of them came, or half of them came on that first snap. Brock Purdy, nearly 400 yards passing. Another efficient day in which you see him throw the ball and you think, how the hell did he end up as the last pick? in an NFL draft. Yeah, they can hit you so many ways that it just wears you out. It wears the defense. Out. It's, de- it's Honestly, it's demoralizing for a defense because there's almost no way you can keep up with all of them. And yet, Trent Williams, one of the leaders on the other side of the ball, says, hey, we got more where this came from.
1: Winning is fun. Um... You know, getting 500 yards of offense is fun, but, you know, the game didn't feel as dominant as it probably looked on the stat sheet.
3: I believe these guys are going to bounce back and be ready to go again. And it's a Monday night at home. And we've got to get ready and have a great week in preparation to do that and see if we can get a game. We've got to get back on track because this, this losing thing sucks.
2: Okay. Pete Carroll, you want authentic? This losing thing sucks. Yes, it definitely does. And that's how quickly things can change. Again, they put up such a such a great offensive performance against the Cowboys last week, but it turned into a shootout. And that's generally going to go the way of Dallas. It's just the the big play potential for the Niners, Wowzers. It's eye popping at times. And then of course you have the defense. (laughs) Fred Warner. Got into a little dust up with DK Metcalf.
3: I don't know what happened, man. He I told him he he tackles really well and then for some reason he didn't like that. And <laughs> you know, I guess what happened happened and it's unfortunate, man. He gotta learn to keep his composure, but happy we came out with the dub.
2: Okay, so is that an insult if you tell a receiver, Hey you, you're a great tackler. <laughs> I couldn't figure out if that's an insult or if Fred was being genuine. I do love Fred. But it, but either way, DK took offense to being told he's a good tackler.
0: It can't be all he said.
2: <laughs> you don't or think so? Or the way he said it. You don't think so?
0: I don't. I don't know.
2: You think there's a, either some hidden meaning to it or there were other choice words attached to it, and Fred's like, what, who, me? Mm-hmm. All I said was... You're a really good tackle. DK, you're one of the best tackling wide receivers I've ever seen.
0: Kill him with kindness.
2: Kill- <laughs> All right, so the Niners end up sleep sleeping, oh dear. Sweeping, not sleeping. <laughs> no one's sleeping with the Seahawks. The Niners end up sweeping the Seahawks, and now they lead both Seattle and L.A. by four games with four to play. And Of course, they've got the tiebreaker over Seattle, so they're almost assured – No such thing as a guarantee at this point, but almost assured of winning the NFC West title again. I didn't even mention Brandon Ayuk. I mean, there's so, so much to this high powered offense. That three game losing skid, a thing of the past. And how about this? Brock Purdy, whose career is still young. I mean, he's he's only been starting for the Niners for just over a year. A career high 368. Passing yard. It's it's real impressive what these guys have done. Hard to imagine that they could be beaten, but remember what happened last year. Everybody goes back to even in the playoffs. Playoffs? Yeah, we're definitely talking playoffs now. All right, coming up, we got a bunch of injuries to sort through from week 14, including yet another quarterback another starting quarterback as well as one of the top weapons in the NFL who just got back on the field on Twitter A Law Radio on our Facebook page too now do you believe in the Dallas Cowboys it's after hours with Amy Lawrence on CBS Sports
0: Radio. You are listening to the After Hours Podcast.
3: Second and ten, Houston from the Texans 25. Singletary motions out to the right, empty backfield. Everybody bunched in fairly tight here. CJ gets the snap and throws over the middle. He's got the crosser. Mechie brought down at the 31-yard line by Reed. And CJ CJ's took down. a shot. He took a shot from... What did we just say? Mechie's first catch of the day, but all eyes are on CJ Stroud right now. He's on his back on the Meadowlands turf. CJ will be a We'll see how he progresses throughout the week.
1: This is After Hours with Amy Lawrence.
2: The voice of one D'Amico Ryan's adding injury to the insult of losing to the New York Jets. But much bigger implications here. This is a pretty pricey and costly loss for Houston. Not only because of what's happening in the AFC South, though the Jacksonville Jaguars did lose to the Browns on Sunday. But we had talked about this now for weeks. How the entire division is affected by the loss of quarterbacks or change at quarterback position. Other than Trevor Lawrence. Now, what an incredible turn of events that he's able to get back on the field going from a Monday night game in which people thought he might be out for the season, maybe an Achilles, maybe an ankle. uh, There was even a report initially that they feared a broken bone in his leg. Nope. He was back out there with a high ankle sprain. I wouldn't say this was his best game. What do you have, three three interceptions, I think? Yeah. Um, But the Jaguars at least still have Trevor Lawrence. So that was a fear last week. The Colts, we know, have been operating without Anthony Richardson. They've got Gardner Minshew settled in, or Mishaw, depending upon your, your interpretation of his last name. We knew the Titans had gone from Ryan Tannehill in what is his last season with Tennessee, more than likely, to Will Levis, even working in Malik Willis, and then back to Will Levis. They actually play on Monday night again, and, and the Texans were the team that had the best rookie, by far the star, among the quarterbacks drafted in 23, and he is now in concussion protocol with this hit that leaves him writhing in pain there on the ground for what felt like eternity. He had already thrown the ball away to Mechie, or he'd already completed the pass to Mechie. It seemed like a late hit if they were going to call a late hit, but ultimately his health far more important. And he wasn't the only loss. Remember Tank Tank Dell last week was lost for the season, and now their top receiver, Nico Collins, who just went over 1,000 yards, he left with a calf injury in the first quarter. And did not return. So now you've got the quarterback and his top two receivers all out. I wouldn't say courtesy of the New York Jets, but these last two injuries come against the Jets. And it was a bruising game. You watch it in the pouring down rain, the driving wind. Uh, Both Jay and I drove to work in that weather. It was nasty conditions, which is why there was no score at halftime. (laughs) Though the Jets go three for three in the red zone in the second half. And they actually had six scoring drives in the second half. How is that possible to go from no points in the first half to six scoring drives in the second half? Unless, I mean, there was so much to play for. It's not like the Texans would be giving up on defense. or Crazy, weird. Talk about a tale of two halves. So the Texans fall to seven and six. But again, beyond the numbers, we're talking about the health of CJ and Nico Collins. Another receiver that we were so happy to see back on the field coming out of the bye after missing seven games. Justin Jefferson returns to the field for the Minnesota Vikings. You wouldn't have known there were any offensive players on the field considering it was a 3 nothing game. But only in the final two minutes. It was 0-0 until the final couple minutes. It's not like weather affected this one. It's Vikings and Raiders in Vegas. And so yes, the Vikings get the win. Right now, believe it or not, they are a playoff team at seven and six. I think they have the sixth spot in the NFC, if I remember correctly. But Justin Jefferson gets knocked out pretty early in this game, and actually ended up leaving the stadium.
0: Justin Jefferson uh, sustained, uh, you know, kind of a chest internal chest uh, injury there. Uh, we wanted to rule out any potential complications from that. Um, so he did go to a, a local hospital and get evaluated, and he has since returned, and he will travel home with us. so um you know feel feel pretty uh, encouraged about uh, you know, the early news on Justin Now we'll have to see on a short week um how he's able to uh, you know turn over from this.
2: Yeah, I'm concerned it would ha- it would just stink to lose him again. According to the reports, he avoided a quote significant injury. So that's good news. It's encouraging. And as you hear O'Connell say, he did not stay in the hospital. But it was one of those balls that was thrown by Josh Dobbs like a dart over the middle. And as credit Jefferson for hanging on to it. As J.J. catches the ball, he gets hit on the back and the side. It looked really painful. Jay, what did you call it to me earlier? I've never heard this term before, but it seems appropriate.
0: A hospital ball is what Dobbs threw
2: feel like that's a little insensitive. Maybe offensive. Well, he that actually might.
0: did go to the hospital. That
2: might. <laughs> Though accurate is so, what you're saying. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, he held on to the ball. He got hit by Marcus Epps. But no idea if he'll be able to play against the Bengals next week. But, yeah. Uh, I guess between Josh Jobs getting benched and Justin Jefferson getting injured and Nick Mullins coming on. Well... There are significant reasons why this game was so awful, and it was three nothing. First, three nothing finish to an NFL game since 2007. And I don't quote me. Oh, you can quote me on this. I'm, I've got this. Always go with your first answer. Seventh time in the Super Bowl era. That's it. So it wasn't a scoregami, if you will, but it was first time, long time. Seventh time in the Super Bowl era. I mean, gross. We'll just we'll just label it gross. All right, coming up, one of the most hmm, unique moments I've ever seen in my time covering the NFL, as if 3-0 wasn't unique enough. This was a much more entertaining moment, but I've never seen it before. Pretty sweet. So we spent a bunch of time talking about the NFC and the leaders in the NFC, Giving you a little bit on the injuries. we got to check in on the Baltimore Ravens and the Cleveland Browns and the Cincinnati Bengals, especially after the Steelers looked putrid. Pittsburgh was putrid on Thursday night. So sorry, I missed that. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence. You
0: are listening to the After Hours Podcast. six it's third and goal Matthew Stafford puts his hands to his helmet back in the shotgun he's ready leans in for the snap back to pass pressure in his face wings one left side
3: end zone caught caught by Cooper Cup Matthew Stafford drops it in the buckets Jackson has an empty backfield three receivers right two to the left he steps back into the shotgun Rams bring a blitz off the edge Jackson under pressure stepping up going deep Looking for OBJ, he's got him over to the 5, he makes the catch and tumbles in! Touchdown OBJ!
0: It's time to pull on the pads and hit somebody.
1: On After Hours with Amy Lawrence, CBS Sports Radio.
2: I do love that music. It matches my flair for the dramatic. And certainly the NFL being the best reality show on TV. More of that in week 14. It's after hours on CBS Sports Radio. Rams and Ravens lighting it up in the first half. In fact, they had 37 combined points in the first half. Something the Vikings and the Raiders can only dream of For Christmas, maybe asking Santa Claus for a little more offense. Two more touchdown passes for Matthew Stafford in the first half. He's been fairly locked in ever since coming back from the injury. And between the Ravens and the Rams, four straight touchdowns on consecutive drives. They go back and forth, back and forth. It was pretty awesome to watch this offense. Not, of course, that the defenses don't matter. Not saying that because they do. But at least in the first half, we were getting the high-powered show. So Baltimore's up 23-22 on a third-quarter field goal with six minutes off the clock. right? So they do what they do with the ball control. They get six minutes off the clock. And the Rams then have the ball in their hand about middle of the fourth quarter. So only trailing by a point, don't need a touchdown, but they do go 85 yards. And you can see the intensity just get ratcheted up. I was listening to this game on the radio in the late stages. And just the feel of this game. I know the Ravens right now harbor hopes of that top seed in the AFC. Rams are just trying to make the playoffs. But this one felt like a battle that would be worthy of January. And you get to see the chunk plays the way that Matthew Stafford's capable of finding his receivers, making every throw. And so you've got long pass connections with Davis Allen and Puka Nakua. Good to see him on the field to set up a Demarcus Robinson touchdown. It's JB Long on Rams radio and Jerry Sandusky on Ravens radio. So this is where you had to buckle up. Under five minutes to go in regulation. Sometimes I feel like we get gypped if Baltimore only has a six or seven play drive. It's a 13 play, 75 yard possession for Baltimore. And for most of that drive, they don't even face third down. They get closer to the red zone and they convert on one third down. And then just outside of the red zone, right there, Facing a third and 17 from the 21-yard line. Third and 17.
3: Lamar out of an empty backfield stands in the shotgun. The Ravens need a big play here. Jackson drops the throw under pressure. Fires down the middle. It is caught. Jay Flowers. Touchdown, Ravens. And they're going nuts at M&T Bank Stadium. What a play. They're going to go for two. Lamar Jackson smoked a pass to Zay Flowers. And for a second game in a row, Zay Flowers has a chance to be the late game hero.
2: Jerry Zandusky on Ravens Radio. And do you hear the crowd just go nuts behind that catch? It's amazing the noise coming from M&T Bank Stadium. So yeah, maybe you thought the game was done then with a 21-yard strike. And it was a strike to Zay Flowers with a minute 16 to go except the Rams respond and they manage the game-tying field goal in the final seconds and their big play, Matthew Stafford to Cooper Cup for 34 yards. My goodness. Between these two teams, again, there's a lot of guys who can make highlight reels. So into overtime, each team goes three and out. How is it possible that each team can go three and out and yet we end up with a winner?
3: Ethan Evans, punting to Tylen Wallace. Evans hangs a wobbler. Wallace settles under it at the 25, gets a block, comes to the near side, 30. Spins out of one tackle, 35 along the near sideline, 40. He's at midfield. Wallace to the 40, still in his feet, 30, 20, 10. Celebration time. No flags. Wallace in the end zone. Hayes in the barn, and the Ravens win it in overtime. That. <laughs> those are. That's how you seal a game. The Rams walking across the field in disbelief to greet the Ravens. As Tylen Wallace, with his biggest play ever as a Raven, comes up with a winning play, a punt return for a touchdown, and the Ravens get 76 yards and a touchdown from Tylen Wallace and beat the Rams in overtime 37 to 31. I was about to go down. I'm like, I can't go down right here. I made it this far. I'm like, I got to keep going. I got to stay up, you know. So uh, that's kind of what was going through my mind in that moment. Shout out to the guys blocking for me, man. They, It was wide open, so I uh, appreciate them helping me out. And uh, I just saw the crease, and I just took it. I decided, you know, uh, it just feels great to be able to make a difference in the game and help the team win.
1: I was prepared to go back on the field. I thought it was going to be like a fair catch or something. Um, but, you know, people on the sideline, you have time. Tell him you got time. I guess he heard it. And man, he just—he went crazy. Just now, nah, that looked like a movie. Like I was sitting in the locker room. Like he just showed his butt. He just showed his tail. You know, he just showed it off. And man, that was just a spectacular return.
2: Okay, Lamar Jackson is the best. He just showed his butt. He says it's like that was like a movie. He just showed his butt. Like he just showed his butt. He just showed his tail. <laughs> Do you think he realized what he just said? All you know, one of the, the image that came to my mind. This is terrible. But you know, is it? Shoot, is it uh, orangutans that have the bare butt? Which one is it? The the monkeys that have the crazy bare butt? Okay, the baboons, yeah. yeah. And all I could think was, oh, my gosh, he showed us his butt. <laughs> because every now that you go to the zoo and you'll see the orangutans, they flash through their rear end. Oh, yeah. And their rear ends it. are bright and orange and shiny, right? And they, they are very proud of their rear ends and their tails. <laughs> like, he showed us his butt. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my goodness, he's funny. I love Lamar. There's no one quite like him in the NFL. Bread and butter, peanut butter and jelly, whatever you want to call it. Well, he showed us his butt. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence on CBS Sports Radio. So, yes, walk off in dramatic fashion. And how about this? We've only ever had walk off punt return touchdowns. In overtime as game winners four times in NFL history, twice this year, (laughs) Xavier Gibson of the Jets did it in the opener against the Bills. Remember, that was September 11th, and it was crazy because Aaron Rodgers is gone after four plays, and the Bills and Jets somehow still have to manage to put on a show, and Xavier Gibson, who was an undrafted rookie, correct? Undrafted rookie, he walks off with his own punt return for a touchdown. Incredible story. And now you've got Talon Wallace. How about this? It's his first time returning punts in the NFL. First game in which he's tabbed as the punt returner. And he walks it off with a 76-yarder in overtime. From the category of you cannot make this stuff up, it's like a movie, Lamar Jackson says.
1: What the hell's going on right now?
2: I kind of agree with him. So, yeah, after an L.A. 3 and out, they were really out, as in out to lunch, out of luck. And now down and out at 6 and 7. Meanwhile, the Ravens moved to 10 and 3. So there are a handful of teams that are at 10 and 3. And the Dolphins can join them at 10 and 3 coming up on Monday night. So the Ravens right now, just by virtue of the fact that they've played their game in week 14, they have the top seed in the AFC. Dolphins can take that over again on Monday night if they win. Duh. (laughs) If they win. Not if they lose. Only if they win. And they still got a pretty healthy lead in the AFC East, so we'll get to that. But John Harbaugh says we may look back at this win and recognize it was a springboard.
1: It's a chapter written in the story and we'll see you know I mean that's the thing it's like will we be looking back at this moment saying it was a galvanizing moment the team has been galvanized so maybe the the galvanization is reflected you know in a moment like this you know and for everybody to see I think the guys all know that already you know, there were some things that we could have certainly learned from to not have to be in that punt situation. We had some opportunities, had a good efficient run on first down, had a second down play action where it looked like protection broke down a little bit, and then miscommunication where we weren't able to get the ball snapped on third down ends up leading to, uh you know, to a delay, but...
2: Um, I just saw what looked like it to be a decent kick um, and a lot of missed tackles at the point of attack. Credit the Ravens for making enough plays to be able to finish the game, um, but I love the way that our group competed. There's a
1: lot of things that we can learn from, um, but there was a lot of great plays made, um, a lot of resilience, a lot of grit, a lot of guts shown by this team today, and I'm looking forward to being able to respond with them.
0: You're talking to me, however many minutes after the game. Uh, I'm going to be, uh, you know, upset about it. just disappointed that we didn't get the, you know, the outcome that we wanted, but. Uh, Doing this long enough, Um, everybody in that locker room has been playing football for a long time. We've all lost games before. Understand, got to learn from it, find ways to uh, make sure it doesn't happen again, and, uh, you know, move on.
2: So the call with Jerry Sandusky on Ravens Radio, and I love the noise, the elation behind it. Just electric there in Baltimore. And, boy, they had some huge wins in in Baltimore. So we're talking about the Cowboys being a team that really benefits from home field I could see the Ravens being in that same space. All right, let's look at, right now, for now, we'll get to more of the AFC after the break, but let's look at the NFC starting in the West because the Niners are 10-3, and along with the Cowboys, the longest win streak in the league at five in a row. They're the only team in that division above 500. Man, the Seahawks, we barely knew ye. Six and seven now, same record as the Rams. And the Cardinals, of course, they're in the basement. Okay, so you've got three 10 and three teams in the NFC. They still have to settle all of their stuff. We've got tiebreakers and such. We've got head to heads. We've got yada, 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 yada. We've got infinite possibilities. I love it. So three teams at 10 and three. Now, the Lions, who we'll talk about next hour, they failed to get to that 10 and three mark and keep pace. With the Titans in the NFC, they lose to the <coughs> Bears. <coughs>
1: Bears, and you're back in the dumpers again.
2: <laughs> yes, yes. In fact, you are. Not just that, but they didn't score in the second half. Stop! Stop it! No, seriously. How can we consider you a contender when you cannot score in the second half against the Bears?
1: I don't know what it says.
2: <laughs> I want to hear more from you, Dan Campbell. Meanwhile, the Vikings at 7-6 and and the Buccaneers at 6-7 are in the playoffs. It's After Hours, CBS Sports Radio.